0: Uh, The title of the message tonight is The Living God. We serve a living God. We are in fellowship with the living God through his son, Jesus, who died on the cross, shedding his blood, that we would be forgiven of our sins. By faith, we're joined to him, and we serve the living God. We are children of our heavenly Father and we're going to see evidence here in 1 Kings 17 of this living God. So I'd like to begin in uh, we're going to finish we're going to finish the chapter tonight and we're going to spend most of our time in Zarephath, the place of refining. The heat is turned up on Elijah's life. In Zarephath So um, let's begin in verse 1 And we'll just read through And enjoy the story Now, Elijah And Elijah means God is my Lord I mean, it's, this is covenant language This is, you know, the Lord is your God If you have uh, trusted in him He is your God Elijah, the Tishbite which means he is a prophet from nowhere. <laughs> Tishbe, where is that? We, who knows? Uh, yonder side of the Jordan. Who was of the settlers of Gilead? Said to Ahab. So he is. He just pops up, and it's really interesting. He just pops up. We give, you know, we we have his his, uh, you know, where he's from. But he pops up right here at the palace. Ahab is the king. And he has an audience with the king. And this is what he says. He says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives. Here it is. He's the living God. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives. Before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. That's interesting. We often think of God speaking to people. Evidently, he commanded some ravens. That's what he said right there. I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went, that is Elijah, and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And Cherith means to cut back. So this is the cutting back of Elijah. Elijah is learning to trust God. You can trust him in the palace. You can trust him by the brook. You can trust him in a place called Zarephath. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. No surprise there because God, the Lord, had commanded them to feed Elijah and he would drink from the brook. It happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise, Go to Zarephath, which, is, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So the Lord evidently commands ravens, and he commands, in this instance, a widow to provide for his prophet Elijah. So he arose and went to Zarephath. Remember, that was about a hundred mile journey across the desert. Not a pleasant journey at all. And who's going to be your welcome wagon when you get there? Some lowly widow. I mean, you could make the case that a person might rather have ravens provide for them than a widow. So, so poor. So isolated, so desolate. Hmm. So nevertheless, he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. Behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Welcome to Zarephath. Then Elijah said to her, do not fear. You know, it is interesting that Elijah first, get me, get me some water in a jar. And then she tells him his story, her story, and then he says, do not fear. So he asks of her, and then he builds her up. Do not fear. Go do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. And some have thought, well, you know, she's uh, this lowly widow gathering sticks there at the gate of the city. And uh, where's the son? Well, they must have been at the point of death. He not in the picture, not helping her gather sticks. She's forced to gather her own sticks. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. This is covenant language again. This is the Lord God of Israel. This is the God who reaches out to his people. This is the God who longs to save. This is the God who longs to bestow favor on his people. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. I wonder what he said. Well, he said, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord which he spoke through Elijah. Now, it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. And his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? You've come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. He said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. He called to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray you let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and he revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. No word of the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the wonderful singing, the opportunity to lift praises to you. We thank you for all you do. Lord, you're, you are. Provide for us in every way. You uh, nourish our souls through your word. You lead us along. We're grateful. Speak to us. Help us. Uh, encourage us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a living God. We see all kinds of evidence. Whether Elijah is at the palace, whether he's at Cherith or Zarephath, we see him in a in a governmental situation, speaking to King Ahab, we see him in solitude there at Cherith, him in a babbling brook and some ravens coming to him twice a day, bringing him food. And then we see him in a home situation there in Zarephath with this widow and her son. And in every place God is faithful to show himself alive. He speaks. He works. He moves, not only in the life of Elijah and leading him, but he moves and works in, around, or among the people that he is with. Um, I I would like to uh, just begin there briefly with the palace and that the reason that Elijah was raised up by God uh, was because of the sin of Israel. And their sin was perpetuated by wicked kings. One after the other is recorded in this wonderful book of 1 Kings. And then when you get to Ahab... The only thing really different that's mentioned is that he married a woman named Jezebel down there in 31 of chapter 16. And we also know that Jezebel was from Zidon, Sidon or Zidon, uh, where Zarephath was. So the Lord eventually leads him to Jezebel's home country. But the Lord is faithful. And the first thing we see is that God is faithful to judge the sins of the nation. God will judge a wicked nation. He judges sin. That's what he's doing. These people, these Israelites are idolaters. They have forsaken God. When you read this, you're going, well, we don't have a lot of teaching from Elijah. Elijah. The time for teaching was gone. The children of Israel had teaching. They had had the old book. They had the teaching. They knew that God was a living God. They knew he was a jealous God. They knew that he should be honored and worshipped and revered. But... Time after time after time, the children of Israel had forsaken God. And since God's a living God, God holds people accountable for their sin. He holds the leaders such as Ahab and Jezebel. And he holds the country, the citizens who are participating in that sin accountable. That's our Lord. That's the living God. God. What did the writer of Hebrews say? He said, it's a fearful thing or a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the what? Of the living God. You now, so many people want to, they're so quick to profess God. Yet, their hearts are not toward God. The Lord wants a wholehearted people toward him. And he is the living God. He's the living God uh, there when Elijah's in the palace. And he's the living God when Elijah's in solitude there at the brook Cherith. He's being cut back. He's just following God step by step. The word of the Lord comes. The Lord doesn't unveil the whole plan. Doesn't give him a map of all of his travels and where he's going to go. He gives him one step at a time. The Lord leads. So the Lord's faithful to lead. The Bible says that after a while, the brook dried up there. It dried up because of the judgment God was bringing on the people. He said it wouldn't rain. It's not going to rain. Elijah, according to James, the apostle, a man with a like nature as ours, prayed that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain. James 5, 17. So prayer is involved, and this living God hears us. This living God raises up a prophet. This living God pronounces judgment on a nation. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah once again. Go to Zarephath. This is an interesting, in fact, of the of the narrative here in chapter 17, most of this narrative happens in Zarephath. Go there, it belongs to Sidon. There it is in verse nine. And stay there. He says, behold, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So what's the Lord doing? The living God protects his own, the living God provides for his own. The living God holds nations accountable for their sin. He holds individuals accountable for their sin as well. Bible says, so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, there's a widow. There she is gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, I imagine he's pretty thirsty by now. He called to her and said, bring me a piece of bread in your hand and she said as the Lord your God lives I have no bread only a handful of flour a handful of flour is not much and it's in the bowl and a little oil is in the jar and behold I'm going to gather a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die and what's really uh, necessary for us to understand here is this this poor widow woman is a gentile and she is the lowest in the social realm of things, she has no protection from authorities. She has nothing. She has a son, and that helps, but she's a widow. Um, well, we, we can read that later over in Luke 4. Jesus tells the story or reads the story from the scriptures there in Nazareth. But there she is. We see the Lord reaching out through his prophet, pronouncing judgment on a nation, but also reaching out to a poor widow who is a Gentile. Just so sweet. We read it. You know, we have a story to tell to the nations. And here God moves Elijah from the palace all the way to Zarephath so that this woman can... Begin to understand the goodness of God. This was in God's plan to include the Gentiles. So Elijah tells her, I mean, she's ready to have her last meal. We're going to, me and my son, we're just going to eat and die. We don't have much. It's going to be gone. And Elijah, this is pretty, pretty good right here. Don't fear. Lady, don't fear. Go. Do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first. Well, goodness, how's he going to divide up a handful of flour and a little oil? And bring it out to me, he says, and afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son. And then he quotes the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. My, my, what a word from God. What a provision of God. This lady's facing death because of the scarcity of food. But she has the assurance now that God will take care of her and feed her. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and, her, she and he and her household ate for many days. Many is in italics in my Bible, so they ate for days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. No matter what's going on, the living God has everything in hand. everything. On every level, he has everything. He can be trusted. What's that verse? Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I see, I think we see this with Elijah. I think we, we've experienced this in our own lives. God's gracious provision to our lives, spiritually and physically. God provides. God is able. We serve the living God. He's not dead. He's alive. He is fully alive. He hasn't stepped out of the office for 15 minutes and he'll be back after a while. That's not our God. He is always on call. He is always there. He is always ready. He is always listening. We live before his face. He knows our every need. He knows our every joy. This living God. He can be trusted. That's what this is all about. Our God can be trusted as he sanctifies us, as he provides for us, as he protects us, as he sends his word to us and encourages us. He can be trusted. That's our God. So here in uh, verses, well, this whole thing with the flour and the oil is... uh, is Jesus? I want you to think of the manna from heaven. Remember the manna God would give it in due time to the children of Israel. And what did He say? Just gather enough for the day. That's all. That's all you need. And what did they do? Some of them tried to get get more. They wanted to stuff it. Oh, here's this manna. We better get a little bit more because you know I've been really hungry lately. Uh, no, that, and what it, it turned to worms. It got spoiled and rotten and it didn't work that way. And this is, this is what we need to learn. You trust God day by day, you trust him day by day. And he provides in that way. You say, well, where's the connection? Well, if you go back over here to John chapter six, we'll make the connection, I think we see in this bowl of flour and this little oil, this little jar of oil in the flour, we see the bread, we see the bread eventually the bread comes from heaven and the bread is Jesus. And we we partake of the bread, John 6. We eat of the bread according to John 6. Where, where is it? Oh, verse 50. Yeah. Well, we can back up a little bit, back up to verse 47. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes where? Down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. He is that bread. He says, I am the living bread. No surprise there because he is the living God that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And this Jesus did give his life for the world, dying on the cross. And there's enough, there's enough Jesus to save and to lift up and to redeem and to sanctify. And there's enough Jesus for us to have every day, partake every day of what he gives us. The the story that's coming to mind right now is Jesus on the beach. Remember after the resurrection and the disciples are out there fishing and Jesus is on the beach. John nudges Peter and he says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Peter goes, it's the Lord. So Peter gets up, takes his outer garment off and he dives in. He's going to swim over there to Jesus on the beach. Now think. I mean, I don't know what Peter's thinking about the reception he's going to have. Because he, he did deny the Lord three times. But Jesus had appeared to them. And then this is after he dives in. He swims to Jesus. He gets on the shore. There's Jesus. He's fixing breakfast for him. He's got the nail prints in his hands. And there he is in all of his just resurrection life. This is what Jesus, this is where we're going with this. What's he doing? He's, he's giving him a meal. This is what Jesus always does. He prepares you and I a meal every day right here in the word. It's right here in the word. A meal prepared by Jesus for his flock because he wants to nourish us. He wants to sustain us in this life, and he wants to build us up spiritually and grow us spiritually. So we see him providing physically, but he provides so much more for us, even spiritually. Now, we're in verse 17, and we're going to try to land. Is that all right with everybody? We'll try to land this uh, sermon. Now, if it ever got off the ground. Now, it came about after these things that the son of the woman... The mistress of the house became sick. Hmm. So they've, they've seen this provision of God not run out. I'm sure they've been amazed by this. This is the living God. But the son becomes sick. And his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. So we're thinking here, this lady is feeling some condemnation for past sin. It may have been regarding this son. We don't know. That's speculation. But it may have been. But she said those words. We didn't make it up. She said... Have you come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death? So she's connecting the coming of Elijah with her son's death. He said to her, give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. Now I want you to notice this in verse 20. He called to the Lord and said, Now this sounds very religious, right here. O oh Lord my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? Crickets. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord my God. I pray you, let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and he revived. And then Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house, gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. And then she says, now I know that you are a man of God. Now, I want to ask you this. Back to verse 20. I want you to notice the question. Oh, Lord, my God. Good language there. Covenant language. Have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I'm staying by causing her son to die? Yeah, really nothing after that. Nothing in reply or response. Then he stretched himself on the child three times and called to the Lord and said, "O Lord, my God, I pray you let this child's life return to him. I want to ask you a question. Would you rather have your questions answered by God or would you rather have your prayers answered by God? Prayers. We'll understand it better by and by, but we're not going to get all our questions answered in this life by God. That's what's going on here. It's trusting God. It's praying according to his will. And it's understanding as we grow and mature in the faith that we shouldn't expect to have our questions answered. Why? Why did that happen? Or why did this happen? Or why me, Lord? No, we pray. We pray in faith and God responds. And he, this is the living God. This is what he does. What's he do? He brings new life. He brings new life. And we see this in Jesus in the New Testament. He brings new life. He brings new life to a, I'm thinking this son had to be a Gentile. He brings new life to this Gentile. Our living God is is not about death, he is about life. He is about providing for his own, he is about protecting his own, he is about answering their prayers, answering their cries, he is about delivering when anyone would say there's no way for that person. Our God can save He is the living God. I trust you'll walk before the living God and serve the living God, worshiping him this this coming week and you'll continue that life of fellowship with him. I just want you to know he's the living God and there are testimonies all over this room uh, to that effect. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, hearing our prayer, hearing our cry. Thank you for this story of Elijah and all that all that you've done in Him and through Him, and then the story's not even not even over. <clears throat> the half has not been told, and uh, I just pray, Lord, for our encouragement tonight that we would just receive, that we would uh, just think even higher thoughts of You, and that we would worship You and uh, even more deeply and uh, that we would follow you even uh, more closely, Lord, than we ever have. We just we just uh, are completely overwhelmed, not surprised because you are the living God, but overwhelmed at all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do in our lives and in the lives of our family members and our church family, Lord. Uh, In the days and weeks ahead, we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.